city. Hmm. Well, that's what we're going to be talking about today. Welcome to the Terrorist Therapist Show. I'm Dr. Carol, a psychiatrist and your terrorist therapist. I'm here to help you and your family live your dreams despite living in a time of terror. Well, <laughs> given, of course, the London attack, this is a question that's on everybody's mind, especially because the mayor of London, Sadiq Khan, has said that terrorist attacks are, quote, part and parcel of living in a big city, unquote. Now, he said that in September, after the bombing in New York City, and now, of course, his big city, London, has experienced a terror attack of its own. Well, what do you think about that? Do you think that we need to uh, just accept the fact that if this is the price of living in a big city? Well, I live in Los Angeles. I'm from New York. <laughs> New York, of course, 9-11. Uh, I don't think that we need to just become desensitized and just accept the fact that that's the price we have to pay. Now, I know what you're thinking. I'm picking on Mayor Khan because he's Muslim. He's the first Muslim mayor of London. But that's not what it is at all. I'm feeling that I have to sort of wake you up to, before you buy into this belief because if we take the passive victim role, we'll be mowed down by terrorists just as the people in London were this week. Now, of course, my condolences go out to the victims of London, the London terrorist attack, their families and all Londoners, and we are all Londoners. Let's um, review what happened in London. I'm sure you've, by now, you've uh, uh, seen and heard a lot about it. But now we know the attacker's name. His name is Khalid Masood. Um, there are lots of things about the reporting of the London attack, which was horrendous enough, that uh, I find fault with, and I'm going to talk to you about today. The, um, well, first of all, just to go over what happened, uh, Khalid Masood, a 52-year-old man um, with a lengthy rap sheet, who presumably was radicalized in prison, although we really don't know enough about him yet. Um, and one of the things that, uh, talking about the reporting of the attack, one of the things that I found a lot of fault with was how the media showed pictures. Well, it wasn't just the media, you know, obviously people who were there uh, took video. And so, yes, we saw, we soon saw lots of pictures um, well, took photos and videos. We soon saw lots of pictures of Khalid lying in the street with the paramedics trying to revive him. Um, and yet the uh, officials in London would not release his name. Now, clearly there were people in London who recognized this man who you could see pretty well in these pictures. But I digress. <laughs> Khalid um, first mowed down pedestrians on Westminster Bridge in the heart of London, uh, kind of like the attacker did in Nice and in Berlin, but there were, thank goodness, fewer pedestrians on the bridge in London. 
He then went into a crowd at the Westminster Palace gates. He crashed, crashed his car into a fence, and he then jumped out and stabbed to death the police officer guarding Parliament. And then he was shot dead. Now, the death toll at this point is five. There were 40 approximately injured, although I've seen higher numbers reported as well. Uh, amongst the injured, or amongst the killed, I should say, was an American tourist who was on his dream wedding. Of course, that uh, quickly became a nightmare. There were many catastrophic injuries, that was the term being used, um, and, and to see the people lying in the street with pedestrians or, you know, fellow Londoners uh, come rushing to them, trying to help, it was really sad. I mean, first of all, the people looked gravely injured, <laughs> catastrophically injured, and the people who came to help them looked helpless, like they really didn't know what to do. And uh, there is a good suggestion that I think uh, it would do well for people in all different uh, cities and, and smaller places to take to heart. And that is to make available more courses for everyday people to take in first aid so that they, so that when there are these attacks, and of course the first thing that has to happen is that we get out of our denial and think that, uh, and realize that whether we live in a big city or a small country town, um, there are still chances of being attacked. I mean, you know, look at the cities or, or look at the places, not really, there were small cities or towns even in the south of France, just as, ex as examples that had terror attacks, not as big as the one in Nice or the ones in Paris, of course, but there have been other examples of smaller cities and small towns where lone wolves um, created havoc. So wherever you live, there is a chance, again, not... <laughs> Not, um, not as much, perhaps, as being uh, struck by lightning, although these numbers, you know, that's been what's typically been cited. But with the increasing number of terror attacks, the increasing frequency, too, we can't remain in denial any longer. And it really would be useful for um, the Red Cross or individual authorities in various towns and cities to, uh, to subsidize uh, um, first aid training for anyone who would like to take it. I mean, there is such a thing uh, that does go on. There is, in some places, that is available primarily by the Red Cross, but not in enough numbers to make a big difference. Uh, we need to make this more accessible so that when people run towards the people like they did on Westminster Bridge, they know what to do. I mean, you know, they're not going to be doctors, and yes, the paramedics came fairly quickly, but there are things that you can do in those seconds and minutes between the time that the person gets injured and the time that the paramedics arrive. And besides, even aside from terror attacks, wouldn't it be great if there were more people who knew first aid uh, just for everyday kinds of things like car accidents? Just something to think about. 
So now the Prime Minister, Theresa May, uh, only at first talked about how the man, the terrorist, was British. Of course, you know, of course, at the beginning, no matter where you live, there is this... Um, there is this pause between the time that the authorities uh, admit that this is a terrorist attack. I will, I will say that it was a little faster in London than it has been in some other places, um, like in America when Obama was president, for example. Uh, so, you know, it might well be that people are realizing that they uh, need to acknowledge it sooner so that the public is more protected so that, I mean, for example, in London, um, before they knew for sure or felt, felt confident that this was just a lone wolf terrorist, they were telling people to uh, be, be careful that where they were searching other places and they were investigating and so on, that, that there was this possibility that it could, there could be uh, this could be just the beginning of a series of terror attacks by a series of lone wolves or a group. And so for, for reasons like that, and just because we're adults, you know, um, the people who are going to be listening to the news, well, that's a whole other story, and we'll, we can get into that. In fact, I have gotten into that in my book that's going to be soon to be, that's soon to be released, Lions and Tigers and Terrorists, Oh My, How to Protect Your Child in a Time of Terror. But for now, let's just talk about adults. Um, we need to be treated. We, we, these things need to not be hidden. And we need to know as much as people know at the time, as soon as people know. So she was saying that he was a British-born man. Uh, some years ago, he was once investigated by intelligence services in relation to concerns about violence, extremism. But then, of course, she was saying, you know, everybody's, everybody's sort of backpedaling. Well, he was just a peripheral figure. That was what her words, peripheral peripheral figure. He wasn't part of the current intelligence uh, picture. And again, this is one of the other uh, pet peeves that I have, and that is that uh, so many of the terrorists who have gone on to create horrendous attacks like Omar Mateen in Orlando and the Berlin terror attack, and even the French terror attack in Nice, they were all at one time or another, and even the Turkish uh, attacker, at one time or another, they had been under some kind of suspicion. There was some kind of investigation going on, and yet they were dropped from the radar. Now, this is, um, it's understandable that there is a problem having enough people to do ongoing investigations as the number of terrorists increased the number of investigations uh, have to increase as exponentially. And so, yes, this is, this is a problem, and this is why we kind of need to win the war on terror more quickly, uh, because this is an exponentially increasing problem. But still, there need to be better criteria, uh, a, 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 perhaps a second tier of investigation, but these people can't be lost in the gaps. They can't just drop from the radar of uh, investigative services. So um, now, of course, even before Khalid was named, ISIS claimed responsibility, because why not? <laughs> um, they figured that it was probably somebody who had either seen their propaganda online 
or perhaps as Khalid was perhaps radicalized in prison, uh, or some other, I mean, why not claim response? Why not say that uh, they're responsible and get the credit for it while people are scurrying about trying to figure out who the terrorist is and what made him do this? So ISIS uh, sent out a press release saying, the perpetrator of yesterday's attack in front of the British Parliament was a soldier of the Islamic State and the operation was carried out in response to calls to target coalition countries. Now, you know, that is presumably true, but it's just that they didn't, they didn't even wait to hear who this was. Now, another explanation for that could be that they, he had been in contact with ISIS and they already knew who he was, but we still don't know this. So now one of, one of my other pet peeves, this is a pet peeve day, one of my other pet peeves is that um, the London attack of 7-7 in 2005 was and still is the most prominent, the most important uh, attack that London has had, not just because of the numbers killed and injured, but because of the planning, and the extreme disruption of the city that it caused, um, and the fact that it was the first such attack. It's comparable to our 9-11. During 7-7, there were four suicide bombers, and they killed 52 people. They injured over 700, and it was much, a much more complex attack that took much more planning. These four suicide bombers had to make the bombs, first of all. And in 2005, it was a little more difficult than now because um, there weren't as many instruction booklets on the internet uh, as there are now. And uh, they, they, the, they did test runs on the trains and the bus because they wanted to make a coordinated attack. And in fact, each of the four bombs went off in very close time proximity to each other. Now, for the 7-7 attack, um, that was my book, my first terrorism book, Coping with Terrorism, Dreams Interrupted, was published. It was published, it was launched on the first anniversary of the 7-7 attack. And I went to London, uh, for the, those memorials and to launch the book. And, and in the book, I had um, uh, interviews with some of the families of the victims of that attack. And I also discussed each of the victims so that we would get to know them and feel personally connected to them. And so in the end, I certainly felt personally connected to the whole 7-7 attack. Um, especially since I had lived in London for a while when I studied with Anna Freud, so it felt like a personal attack. Now, what's the difference between the 7-7 attack and the current attack? Well, you know, yes, there were four terrorists for 7-7. There was one terrorist for uh, this week's attack. Uh, but as I was starting to say, the 7-7 attack was so much more meticulously planned and took so much more effort to do it. This only took one man to rent a car and find a knife. So, in a way, the 7-7 attack was much scarier because it, it was the first 
and it was such a um, such a you know seven over seven hundred injured. I, I, I mean, it was and it just it just stopped London in its tracks. I mean, so did this week's to an extent, but um, but that was just much more massive, the seven seven attack. Um, but also, you know, the fact now that all it takes is a car and a knife is in a different way scarier because obviously uh, this makes terrorism much more accessible to any lone wolf, anybody who's feeling uh, angry, who's feeling lost, who's feeling purposeless, who's feeling like they and their life don't matter, who's feeling angry that other people have better lives in their opinion than they do, and who wants the notoriety, of course, of um, all the me, all the world's attention on them, that, you know, they were this big bad wolf, <laughs> this lone wolf, big bad lone wolf, who, um, who created such fear, such terror, such horror, that the whole world is paying attention to them. Now, in particular, in this current attack in London, uh, there, it was amazing how the different victims, there were so many different countries represented amongst the victims. And so, yes, it really did uh, catch the attention of the whole world, not just because of the media paying attention to an attack in London, but because of the specific individual countries that these victims came from, which was really sad. Um, <laughs> Prime Minister Theresa May was also saying, we are not afraid. Well, you know, it is true. Americans need to understand that the Brits are tougher than Americans because the British lived through World War II. I mean, Americans, of course, lived through World War II as well. We have many veterans from World War II. But uh, the bombs from Germany landed in London, and um, there are wounds in the buildings. Um, from the the from World War Two, there are, there are um, places that memorialize, in a sense. I don't mean just I don't mean memorials, but I mean you can see where the city was attacked. Um, and there are, of course, people remembering that. I mean, in other words, they were attacked on their so soil, whereas we suffered, of course, many many consequences because of World War II, but our soil wasn't attacked, which is why 9-11 was so, um, such a, well, one of the reasons why 9-11 was such a drastic um, experience for Americans. So, and now I, I went to medical school in Europe, in, in Louvain, which is in Belgium, and, um, were there certainly the bomb wounds in the buildings were noticeable. I mean, you couldn't every day just walking into school, you would pass uh, buildings that had been that had you know stone knocked out of them or um, where bombs had hit, or sidewalks, cobblestone sidewalks where uh, there were wounds from the bombs. And 
And, you know, after a while, at the beginning, it was very shocking. You know, I asked people, what, why is this, why does this look like this? <laughs> Maybe I was a little naive, but, um, and when it was explained to me, after a while, you know, it, it bothered me for a while, but after a while, you just get desensitized to it. You just accept, this is what the city looks like. Um, little city. <laughs> and, um, and that's the problem of thinking the way that uh, Sadiq Khan, the mayor of London, has been telling us to think that um, if we live in a big city, we just have to accept that we're going to have terror attacks. Because just like the, the wounds in the buildings um, in, in Europe from World War II, we will begin to, can you imagine that, beginning to um, be desensitized to places like in Orlando or in San Bernardino or in New York, where there were uh, these attacks getting desensitized to that and thinking, oh, well, you know, uh, it's a big city. So this is going to happen. And of course, as more cities get affected, um, and certainly, certainly I um having been born and raised in New York, the skyline, I'm still, every time I go back there, um, it's still shocking to me. I'm not desensitized to it. Well, let me um, go to the terrorist therapist letter portion of the show. And I, again, I want to encourage you, please, if you're, if you're hearing this for the first time, that I do have a letter or email <laughs> writing uh, section to the Terrorist Therapist show, uh, I really would encourage you to please send me some of your comments, send me your questions, uh, and you can do that in a number of ways. Now the easiest way is to go to my finally live <laughs> Terrorist Therapist website, terroristtherapist.com, and there is a contact page, and you can write to me, and tell me whatever you would like, ask me whatever you would like, and I will um, read your question at, uh, on a future Terrorist Therapist podcast. So here we have today a, an, an email from Jimmy. Oh, let me say also another way, of course, to do it is to go to, the, um, to, go to my, my uh, Twitter page, which is uh, Dr. Carol, at Dr. Carol MD, and you can message me there, or you can go to my Facebook page, uh, Terrorist Therapist, and um, the Terrorist Therapist, and you can, of course, send me a message there. And you can also look at previous blogs and uh, previous um, vlogs <laughs> with a V, and podcasts, and, um, and, and notes that I post about usually typical, I post things every day um, related to terrorism. So uh, here's from Jimmy in Las Vegas. Hey, terrorist therapist, another week, another terrorist attack. It's really getting on my nerves. I live in Las Vegas and I'm thinking of moving because I heard that we are a target for terrorists. This would mean giving up my job, changing my kids' schools, and a big financial risk. I don't know what to do. Well, Jimmy, yes, it is true that there have been, um, aside from the fact that Las Vegas, now you know that uh, Las, since Las Vegas is a big city, well, relatively big city, I mean, it's not like 
<laughs> New York or, or LA, but, um, but it's a relatively big city. And yes, it has been called a target because of, well, because terrorists don't like gambling and don't like all the uh, opulence that there is in Las Vegas and all of that. But you know, if people start moving from wherever they live, I mean, look, Orlando wasn't necessarily, uh, before the Orlando at attack, I don't think Orlando was high on the list of terror targets. And yet, look, we had one there. Same thing for San Bernardino, for sure. Um, no one really pays much attention to San Bernardino, California. And um, I doubt that that was high on a terror target list. Say that quickly, terror target list. But, um, but it happened to be the place that was attacked because that's where the couple lived who wanted to be um, terrorists who, you know, had, had long become radicalized and had been planning attacks and, um, and this is where they lived. So that is part of the problem. Terrorists, lone wolves, besides, you know, terrorist cells, uh, like there are in Scarbeek in Belgium, um, there are also lone wolves and they can be living anywhere. And as talking, you know, talking about the London attack, yes, that happened to be a big city, but someone could, could take their car and a knife in any city or town or any place. Um, in fact, like there was with, we don't really hear, we haven't really heard that much about afterwards. I mean, it kind of just uh, faded into the list of terror attacks. But there was an attack on a college campus where um, a young man took a car and a knife and injured people there. So it, it, it could be anywhere. So no, I don't think you should move. <laughs> um, of course, if you're a gambler, that's <laughs> which it doesn't sound like you are if you're... Um, your letter doesn't sound like you are, but um, you know Las Vegas isn't a great town for people who have pro who have compulsive gambling uh, problems. But other than that, no, there's really no place that is safe from terrorism, and we can't live our lives like that, uh, being scared every day, regardless of where we live, and thinking that. Um, whether it's a big city or, or any other kind of, because it has some other, I mean, you know, obviously besides how big the city is, it has to do with um, wanting to hit a dramatic target. So like when a, a big game is played in a particular town or um, which yes, is likely a big city, but, or, it, or some monument is um, in a, in, in a place or, you know, there are all kinds of reasons. It really has to do with terrorists wanting to find targets where they can get the biggest bang for their buck, where they can get, get the biggest, most attention from the media uh, because of, of what they've chosen as a target. But again, these lone wolves um, who just, who want to be known or who, who are so um, convinced by the propaganda that they see that they that they just want to lash out and be known as um, someone who has given his life to be a terrorist because of believing in this ideology, which is the uh, a perverted 
uh, look at the Quran. This is not what the Quran says, but there, these are people, these are radical extremists who have uh, twisted the words of the Quran to incite people to make these terrorist attacks. And it's, it's, really, um, it's really sad for all of us is what it is. So the bottom line is, do we have to accept terror attacks if we live in big cities? The answer is a resounding no. We shouldn't be accepting terror attacks wherever we live. Should we pre be prepared by being more resilient and um, making ourselves psychologically and physically stronger? Yes. Should we have first responders be equipped as well as possible and be prepared as possible? Yes. Should we be doing better <laughs> investigating and foiling of terror attacks before they happen? Yes. Now, of course, of course, the number, to be fair, the number of foiled terror attacks is astounding. People would, um, that is pretty much being kept under wraps every once in a while, a number comes out of how many foiled attacks there are. And yes, it is astounding. But as the saying goes, we have to be on top of the attacks. We have to foil the attacks 100% of the time, whereas the terrorists only have to be successful once to create tremendous damage like the terrorists did in London this week. So, you must never simply accept a terrorist attack as the price of living in a big city or anywhere. Now, I just want to end on a positive note, which I probably should do more often since I'm the terrorist therapist. I do want to help you keep calm and carry on. So, um, one example of something positive that happened during the terror attack in London was that a British MP gave CPR to the stabbed police officer after the attack, and this was outside Parliament. And this just goes back to what I was saying earlier about how important it is for cities and towns, every place, to make uh, CPR and first aid classes much more available to, um, to all of us so that we can help people who have been injured in terror attacks and people who have just been injured by all kinds of things like car accidents and who are laying in the street and who we can help so that we don't have to stand by looking helpless. That will be a positive thing that comes out from these increasing acts of terror. Thank you for listening to The Terrorist Therapist Show. I'm Dr. Carol, your terrorist therapist.